0: And hello, and welcome to Writers on Writing on 88.9 KUCI-FM. We're broadcasting from the University of California, Irvine campus. We're also on the web at KUCI.org and on iTunes at College Radio. And the show is podcast later at penonfire.com. Today is Wednesday, December twelfth, two 2012. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and my guest for the entire hour is novelist Diana Wagman. Diana is the author of four novels. Her second, Spontaneous, won the 2001 Penn West Award for Fiction. Her latest, The Care and Feeding of Exotic Pets, which will be the focus of our discussion today, was chosen as a Barnes & Noble discover pick. Her screenplay, Delivering Milo, was produced starring Albert Finney and Bridget Fonda. She's been published in very many literary journals, and most recently, Conjunctions and The Colorado Review. And she's a frequent contributor to the Los Angeles Times. Hi, Diana. Hi, Barbara. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you could be here. You were on, I think the last time you were on, you were on for Bump. Yeah, which was a while ago. Which was a while ago, and and one of my... uh, favorite novels with a, a most wonderful cover, so I, I have it right in front of me here. Oh, that's um, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> Let's talk about the care and feeding of exotic pets, and, you know, it's Genesis, where this story came from.
1: Well, um, it was a long Genesis. It's been, you know, nine years since my last book, and I went down a different path entirely with this book. I started writing about a woman who was a birthday party clown and this family of clowns and clowns, clowns, clowns. I went to Las Vegas to the clown convention <laughs> and did a lot of research in clowns. And um, as you might imagine, my agent, her eyes rolled back in her head and she said, clowns? Really? So um, I couldn't find this character. I really couldn't make her work, the main character, Winnie, but she kept staying with me and bothering me. And then I went to um, take my car into the shop and I dropped it off and I was waiting to get that van, the rental van, um, to take me to the Thrifty or Enterprise or whatever it was and a car sort of slowed down as it went by and then kept driving. And I kept thinking, I could have gotten in that car
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and what would have happened if I had? And when I had that thought, Winnie suddenly came clear to me. It was like, oh, so she's this and she's this, and she gets in that car. And this is how her story begins. And then the writing, <clears throat> excuse me, really took off. So,
0: how much time had you put into the original draft? The first
1: one? <laughs> Yeah. Years.
0: Years,
2: yeah. Yeah,
1: 450 pages or so.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, just. I don't recommend it as a way for writers to work, but I was trying to find her and trying to find my way, and I, I meandered. And, you know, I had a full-time job, and I have kids and things, so it's not like eight hours a day every day by any means, but that's what was in my head was, where is Winnie? Who is Winnie? And I kept trying to figure it out. You, you know, clowns,
0: though... <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that idea. I'm thinking of recent novels that have been out that take place at circuses. And right, the Night
1: Circus. Yeah,
0: the Night Circus. Water for Elephants, huh? Yep. yep. Uh, so, so what was the problem?
1: <laughs> well, first of all, they were, I guess, birthday party clowns. Ah, I see. Not very romantic. I did drive along with a clown on a birthday. That was sort of excruciating, but... Very sweet of her to take me
2: mm-hmm.
1: on a drive along <laughs> sort of like with the cops but but with a clown. That's uh, funny. Yeah. And one day, you know, those clowns will come up somewhere.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of when I was in college after the first semester, I wanted to go to clown school because I had learned to juggle. And,
1: yeah.
3: And
0: uh, my counselor said, you know what, I want you to just think about this for a while before you actually do it. And so, you know, after a while, I thought, well, I'll juggle in my part-time, you know, as <laughs> well, a little hobby.
1: <laughs> and actually, most of the clowns that I met are retirees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're clowning now to sort of get back to kids and give back to society and stuff. Interesting. So you have that in your future, Barbara.
0: Oh, okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> <She's juggling>.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so you found the character, and then what? What happened then?
1: Well, and then I thought, why did she get kidnapped? That was another issue. And I knew she had an ex-husband, and I knew that... She had a daughter, and originally the daughter was young, like six years old. And, again, I kept sort of meandering through there. She's kidnapped, but why, but why, but why? And I was reading an article about um, Internet kids, you know, kids who have whole alter egos, other personalities Mm -hmm. on the Internet. And I thought, oh, this is so interesting. But, of course, her daughter had to be older then. And my daughter, when I was writing this, she's 20 now, but she was in her teens then, and um, I knew a lot about the secret lives, or I thought I knew a lot (laughs) Mm -hmm. about the secret lives of teenage girls, and so I just pushed it to an extreme. Mm. This is not my daughter at all, but I pushed it so that, you know, there was a young sort of budding woman who wanted to make up a new life, and so she does.
0: Interesting. You're listening to Writers on Writing. My guest is Diana Wagman. Her new novel is The Care and Feeding of Exotic Pets. And if you have any questions for Diana during this hour, you can text me at 949-337-2752, and uh, I'll relate the question if it's appropriate. Um, <laughs> so how did reptiles make their appearance into the book? How did that, how, how did that come in?
1: Well, um, the kidnapper, Oren, um, you know, I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying, he. yes, he kidnaps, and yes, there's a murder, and, you know, bad things happen, but I didn't want him to be a bad guy, really. You know, I wanted us to feel something for him. Um, and I thought, well, I'll give him a pet. But... <sighs> cats are too independent and dogs are too normal and needy and there are dogs in other parts of the book. And um, I went to just, by happenstance, I went to, in Anaheim, the big reptile show. Mm -hmm. They have the Reptile Expo. And I started looking at these people and talking to people who are real reptile enthusiasts. I mean, they love them, and they were walking around with snakes around their neck and, you know, pet lizards on their arms and things. And they're hard to take care of, and they're also sort of terrifying.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I thought it was the perfect pet for him. Plus, it did tie into his whole carnival background, um, having this reptile from the, the house of the Amazon from when he was a kid. Um, but they're very hard to take care of so he had to be serious about taking care of this pet which i thought gave him some humanity mhm yeah
0: it's interesting um really interesting yeah before we go on i'd love to hear you read from the book so okay. we can give our listeners a taste of uh, what we're talking about
1: well i think i'll just read from pretty close to the beginning um she's winnie has dropped off her daughter at school and had a fight and um She's had a conversation with her ex-husband, Jonathan, who's a game show host and who wants Winnie to come live... I mean, wants Lacey, the daughter, to come live with him. And Winnie's kind of thinking at the beginning of this book, that's probably a good idea. Mm -hmm. So she goes on to the mechanic. The station wagon barely made it into the mechanic's driveway. Thick gray smoke poured from the exhaust. The car shuddered, gave a final kick, and died. She tried but it would not start again. I'm surprised you got here, her mechanic said. It's my lucky day, she replied. Moments later, she was standing on the sidewalk with her tennis racket, waiting for the van from the car rental agency. A breeze had come up, but in Southern California, her thin nylon jacket kept her warm enough. She remembered November, growing up in New York City, her wet breath turning to ice in her wool scarf, and her toes so cold it made her stomach hurt gust lifted her pleated tennis skirt. She got a whiff of old sweat. She had not washed her outfit after last week's lesson. Her legs needed shaving. She pictured stretching out to return a ground stroke and jumping up for an overhead, all with her skirt fluttering. She flexed one foot and then the other and shook her head, feeling her ponytail swish against her neck. She had sworn she would never play tennis again after Jonathan left her. But four years had passed, and there was nothing he wouldn't do without her. At least her same old outfit still fit. She looked down the street, hoping to see the van. A black Toyota sedan turned the corner, headed her way. It slowed, went past her, stopped, and reversed right in front of her. The car was so clean and shiny, the passenger door was like a curved, funhouse mirror. In its reflection, Winnie's legs looked short and wide and her forehead like a billboard she bent down as the window sunk into the door the driver had to be Irish young and skinny with bright red hair and pale eyes wearing blue jeans and a black leather jacket a white button-down shirt and a tie are you from Enterprise Winnie asked have you been waiting long I expected the van it's a very busy day he leaned across the seat and opened the door When he saw a penny in the street, almost under the car, it was heads up, a wishing penny. Jonathan had always hated her wishing. She wished on pennies and dandelions, the first star at night, white horses, and the turned-up hem of her pants or shirt. Get in, the Enterprise driver sounded anxious. It bothered her, but she left the penny on the road, got in the car, and adjusted her tennis bag between her legs. Tennis game? Just a lesson. I'm not ready for a game yet. Put your bracket in back. She did. He nodded. His thighs were long and thin. His jaw was well-defined, his face covered with freckles. His ears were oddly small and paler than the rest of him, like tiny snails curled beneath his almost orange hair. Winnie wondered about the color of his hair on his chest and his legs and other places, then blushed and looked out her window. What else do you have to do today? The driver asked. Errands, nothing. It's my day off. He turned right and got on the freeway. It was not the usual route. Do you have a cell phone? he asked. Can I borrow it? Did you forget yours? he shrugged. Guess it has been a busy day for you. She dug her phone out of her purse and handed it to him. It's on. He held it in his hand, playing with the smooth cover. They exited the freeway and headed into a residential neighborhood. The houses were small and unremarkable, the one-story stucco boxes common to every Los Angeles suburb with neat lawns, closed doors, empty driveways. A friend could live here. She looked up at the flat, no-color sky. A cold front was moving in. The palm trees bent in the wind and waved at her. What is this neighborhood, she asked. Is there an Enterprise near here? He shook his head. He rolled down his window. How long have you been with Enterprise? I'm not with Enterprise. You just drive for them? There was a sparkle of sweat on his temple as he turned and looked at her. His eyes were the bleached green of dead grass. Do I look like I drive for Enterprise? He threw her cell phone out the window. The car bounced over a speed bump. Confusion rattled in Winnie's head. I need a rental car. That's not my department. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll just get out here. She pulled on the handle, but the door was locked. She tried to lift the button, but it was hiding inside the door, impossible to grip. She searched frantically for some other control. Child safety, he said. You can't get out. I have a child. Okay, Mom. From his lips it was a curse, as if he had called her bitch or whore. Mommy. When he could not breathe, her hands began to shake. She could not grasp the door handle. He turned right again onto another tree-lined street of small houses. But instead of friendly, these felt haunted by the ghosts of this man's prey. She was only minutes from the mechanic, barely more than a half hour from home. But she could have been in another country. I have to go, she said. They're waiting for me, the other tennis moms. My my husband, he snorted. Where's your ring? I don't wear it for tennis. Women like you always wear a ring. I I don't. She was a terrible liar. He lifted a hand to the visor, and Winnie waited for the knife, gun, rubber hose, but it was a remote control. He hit the button, and a garage door opened. He turned into the driveway, coasted into the empty garage. The door dropped shut behind them. Mom, I'm home, he said.
0: Interesting. Thank you. That was Diana Wagman reading from The Care and Feeding of Exotic Pets. you know, I wanted, to, as I was reading this, I thought it was really interesting how you slipped in how um, Oren knows um, the protagonist Winnie. And I was curious then if it surprised you as well, or if you, when you came up with the character of Winnie, if you figured out what the connection would be and how he would not um, pick her up randomly, but there would be a plan.
1: Well, um, I didn't really at first. You know, I thought about the kidnapping, and then, as I said, I really tried to figure out why he kidnapped her. But I thought it was, it's terrifying if it's random, but it's almost, in an, in an odd way, it's almost more terrifying if it's not random.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: there's something about her that he doesn't like, or that he is particularly involved in, interested in. Um, so... And then I really struggled with the idea about do I tell my reader right from the beginning what this connection is because he knows and, you know, for part of the book we're in his head and does he just think about it or do I sort of tease the reader and let it out as Winnie knows it, Mm -hmm. as Winnie begins to figure it out. And I think the reader knows it much earlier than Winnie, but um, I tried to make it sort of random in the beginning because I wanted um, the reader to be as off-balance as Winnie is. Mm
2: -hmm. Why
1: did this happen to me? And I think that's what we all sort of think when something catastrophic happens. Why me? Why me? And yet catastrophic things happen every day, you know, car accidents and, um, I don't know, floods, and your water heater explodes, and you go, why me? But there is no why. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted her to be sort of in that out-of-balance, out-of-kilter thing where she's going, why me? Why did this happen? And then the clues begin to come that she's, it was her for a reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, also, so then, you know, from what you were saying in terms of your first pages, your first 400-some pages, <laughs> um, and then finding Winnie and 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 the story, then I take it that you don't begin with plots or outlines, or do you at some point develop one?
1: Um, I should have <laughs> developed one much sooner than I did, I think, with those clowns. Um, but I I don't usually... What I have in my mind is a character and an ending image, which obviously when I was writing The Clowns was not the image that this book ends with. Um, and then I write to that. And like... Um, and McEwen said, you know, he writes every day for the discovery. And I always feel like, I don't know what's going to happen today. It's so exciting. But what that means is that I do meander. I go down roads, that then I have to edit away. So in this case, especially since it's, as it turned out, much more of a thriller than I've ever written before, um, I did then diagram it after I'd written a draft starting with the kidnapping, as it does now, I went back and sort of thought, okay, where do these clues come in? And where do where do we need to go and see her daughter? And where do we need to go and spend time with her husband? And I sort of drew a picture of it, like a line with little marks on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't until after a draft.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know, sometimes I think... Uh, outlining or plotting takes the fun out of it too
1: right right and it's hard for me it's it's like that um the old thing about you know do you tell someone else what you're working on well when you tell it some people believe you tell it and then you don't have to write it um so i i worry that if i outlined i wouldn't the writing wouldn't be as fresh
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but on the other hand then you do, you know, you have to give yourself time to explore and go the wrong way some of the time. Um, So in all of my books, actually, there's been a point after a couple of drafts or so where I've had to sort of sit down and go, okay, wait, does this happen in the right place? And, you know, I spend a long time here. Do I need to be there? So...
0: Do you have unpublished material, whether it be short stories or novels?
1: Oh, so much. Yeah. (laughs) So much. And I I guess the good thing I can say about that is that it's all material. Mm -hmm. And I also, um, I tell my students this all the time, you know, writers often don't practice. Mm -hmm. We're an art form where we just kind of wait for the muse and then we write our finished thing. And I feel like Practicing is important, and even if it's just sitting down for 15 minutes and describing the weather outside, it's practice. And then when you're actually writing the big thing, you have that to draw on. Um,
0: well, yeah, I think uh, writing is perhaps perhaps the only art form where um, we're – sort of product or results-oriented. You know, other art forms, yeah, music, you know, musicians practice scales endlessly. And, and, you know, painters draw, just sketch endlessly. And uh, we feel that if we write a short story or even a novel and it doesn't get published, that we failed.
1: Right. And actually, none of that work is failure. It's all great. It's all like our... It's our work.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, the only difference between... A published writer and a non-published writer is the, somebody respondent to that material who has the wherewithal to publish it. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, it's actually a very small, subjective difference.
0: Yeah. Sure is.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: I'm glad we have you for the entire hour. We're going to take a very short break. We will be back with Diana Wagman. So all of you out there, stay with us. If you have any questions for her, you can text me at Don't go away.
3: I love you darling, hate to see you go, come back baby, let's talk it over, one more time. My heart's full of sorrow, my my tears, gone 24 hours child, seem like a thousand years. Come back, baby, let's talk it over one more time. Darling, one more birthday Let's talk it over before you go away Come back baby Let's talk it over One more time attorney Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI,
0: 88.9 FM Irvine, and KUCI.org on the net. If you use a computer at work, there's a good chance your email is being monitored. Increasingly, the E in email stands for eavesdropping. It's a growing trend for employers to tell if you're working or just plain goofing off. Privacy intrusion also includes keyboard use, internet surfing, monitoring your voicemail, hidden cameras, and concealed
3: microphones. If you're concerned about your privacy and what else is happening in the information age, I'm Mari Frank, host 8 to 9
0: a.m. every Monday morning on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Thanks.
3: Yeah, writers on writing every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Yeah, the dirt on publishing. Writers, authors, all of it. Listen.
1: The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.com.
0: Welcome back to Writers on Writing on 88.9 KUCI-FM in Irvine. We're broadcasting from the University of California, Irvine campus. We're on the web at KUCI.org and on iTunes at College Radio. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and we have been here with Diana Wagman. Her new novel is The Care and Feeding of Exotic Pets, published by Ig Publishing. And before we get her back on, I just want to say that um, podcasts of the show are available at writersonwriting.blogspot.com. That's all you'll find on that blog, so that when this show is podcast in the next week or so, it will be there. And then my website, which has changed, penonfire.com, as I post podcasts on the blog spot. I put them on my website. At some point we'll have a really easy way of finding them on my website, and it will all be one, but right now it's not. Right now, they're sort of divided until we figure this out. So, um, in any case, we also have a salon coming up on January 15th here in Corona Del Mar, an evening with agents and editors, and uh, it's not on the website yet, but it's January 15th. If you want more info on that, Email me at penonfire at earthlink.net. Let's bring Diana back on. Hello again. Hello again. Um, so curious, too, about um, your point of views here. You have It's a multiple point of view novel. I can't remember if Bump was. Somehow I think it was. It but was, actually. Talk about that. Talk about why multiple points of view.
1: Um, I originally wrote this from only Winnie's point of view. And because she's kidnapped... Um, and stuck in this house, it was very claustrophobic, um, which was good and bad. It was hard to read. Plus, it shrunk the novel to, you know to a hundred pages. It was more of a novella. And I thought there are so many other people in her life that are so important. Um, I particularly thought of her daughter because she's kind of the impetus for this kidnapping. She is the impetus for this kidnapping. I thought, what is her daughter doing? So I originally just started with the daughter, um, with Lacey, and we go to her and her day at school and out of school. And then, um, and I put, you know, I wanted to put her in a little jeopardy as well. So there were these parallel things going on. And then I thought to myself, the kidnapper, Oren, um was actually became more and more my favorite character. I really was fascinated by him and felt so much for him. And I wanted to go deeper into his head. so I added him, and then then I thought, well, I might as well add the uh, ex-husband because there were things about him that I was interested in. And so it came step by step. I didn't mm-hmm. intend to write from multiple p- points of view. Actually, having done that in Bump, I thought I wouldn't, but... Oh, why is that? Well, I thought I'd try something new. Mm-hmm. And also, for me, I feel like going to these multiple points of view is, is easier in some ways. Um, you don't have to spend so much time with um, a single character. You know, you can cut away yes. at the boring parts. And go somewhere else. And um, and I had toyed with the idea of the omniscient narrator, where we're sort of everywhere seamlessly. We don't really cut to points of view, you know, much more Henry James-ish. Mm-hmm. But um, because these characters are all in different places, I, it didn't really work for me. I felt like I needed to cut away and go there and be in someone else's head.
0: I love multiple point-of-view novels because of that, because I want to know what's going on with the different characters. If there there are too many, of course, it it can become annoying, and I find it annoying in short stories, too. Right. Because there's just not enough space somehow to develop.
1: Right. I mean, that old adage about short stories should be two or three characters, one location, one central issue, you know.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I know there are wonderful short stories that throw that completely away, but... It is kind of how we read a short story, you know, for one event and one character's point of view. I mean, it's true.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's just not enough room somehow. Yeah. And it, it becomes more of a kind of vignette or slice of life, which could be wonderful because of the writing, but then you're left with, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um but you know, speaking about short stories, then, because you write short fiction, what inspires um a short story and what inspires a novel? How do you know when an idea has enough traction to become a novel um or enough depth or breadth that that you're going to be able to carry on with it or you'll want to carry on with it and you know likewise, what tells you this is a short story? I have you know one thing to say or. And, and this amount of space, and that's fine with me.
1: Well, I, I think that's exactly it, what you just said. It's like I have one thing to say, mm-hmm. and this is it. And um, I, I actually prefer writing novels. I know people find that hard to believe because it's a, you know, a year's and year's commitment. But I like the breadth and the possibility to go in different directions. But sometimes I have an idea that is just for this moment, this kind of moment. I just um, placed a story with the Southern California Review, which is about a a woman guard at a prison in, I don't know, some, you know, Afghanistan somewhere, an American woman guard. And that's all that was. You know, I didn't know enough, really, to go much further. Yes, I could have made a novel about her coming home and what happened, but it wasn't about that. It was just about this little moment in her life when she's about to go home and she's looking at these prisoners that she's spent so much time with. And um, it's all it was, was a short story. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of know. I'm sure you feel this way as well. You just kind of know, okay, Mm -hmm. this is done.
0: I seem to come up with, you know, a plethora of short story titles. And
1: yes. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm
0: coming up with more titles than short stories, and I'm thinking, I wish I could put these together and create a short story out of all
1: these oh, titles. titles. <laughs> Some Sounds titles. like a great um, <laughs> article, actually. That's a good idea. Yes. <laughs> um, I have first lines. Mm-hmm. I keep And in the middle of the night, these are the things I wake up and write down, you know, this is a great first line, and I write it down, and Mm -hmm. then I look at it in the morning and think,
0: hmm, Hmm.
1: wonder where I thought that was going.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Um, What about self-publishing and print-on-demand? You said something a little earlier about, you know, sticking with it, finding a publisher. Mm -hmm. And these days, I know an awful lot of people self-publishing or printing-on-demand, and um, you know, I have very mixed feelings about it—extremely mixed feelings. Um, how do you? How do you feel?
1: Well, I guess I have mixed feelings as well. Um, what I worry about with the self-publishing is that you never get that outside eye. You never get that editor. My editor's at Ig, which is a tiny, tiny press. You know, it's not like there was money—much money involved at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but they read my book in a completely fresh way. And the editing suggestions that they made were fantastic. And with self-publishing, you know, I would have published the book that they read as they read it. Yes. And I don't think it would have been as successful. Now, that's not to say you can't hire an editor and help, you know, but what's to make you do what that editor says unless they're going to publish your book? So for me, that that editing is what's missing with self-publishing. These days, with the internet and everything, there's it's fun. You know, it's great. There's it's a great way to publish. I think for a lot of reasons. Um, I don't know. I I struggle. I mean, believe me, I was close to thinking I'm going to self-publish this book. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, I wrote. The clown draft and my agent, my old agent, dumped me. Um, She went from a tiny boutique agency to a big agency, and she didn't take a lot of her clients, and the clown draft that she read was not big enough to go with her, so I was agentless, and I rewrote the book, and I was struggling, and I I was trying to get a new agent, and I couldn't, and I thought a lot about self-publishing. Yeah,
0: you know, and, and I don't think Ig f- falls into this category. But there are also micro publishers that really only publish maybe one or two titles a year. Yeah. That um, you know really count on the authors uh, to market and, and get the word out. That do beautiful, beautiful books. And, and right. you still have a publisher. You have editors. You know, you have the proofreaders. Because right. most self most authors that self publish don't go through all that.
1: Right. Exactly. And I think the micro publishers, sort of like the, um, I've been thinking about it like the independent film world mm-hmm. from years ago. You know, wonderful films, unusual films were coming from independent filmmakers. And now it seems like all those independent companies have been glommed up by big companies. Yeah. But I think there are some wonderful, small, tiny presses that are doing really unusual work. And like $2 radio. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a great little press, and their books are so interesting. I just read Radio Iris by Anne-Marie Kinney, and it was wild and great from $2 Radio. So yeah, Interesting. And then I think, too, that there's a little more attention paid to these small presses because they are doing such interesting things. hmm
0: you are listening to Writers on Writing, and if you just tuned in, you're a little bit late. But we have Diana Wagman here for about 15 more minutes with us, so so uh, we'll we'll make it count. Um, <laughs> talk about uh, readers confusing real life with fiction, because I just can't forget a story you told me once about a, a friend, a mother um, of a friend of your daughter's friend, yeah. and uh, who who had a problem with uh, your fiction as opposed to real life.
1: Yes, my first book, Skin Deep, um, the mother in that, she it, she's divorced, she does not have custody of her daughter, and she has real problems with her daughter. She doesn't think she's attractive, and that's a big part of that book, um, and she doesn't like her very much, and a mom at my daughter's preschool at that time <laughs> wouldn't let her daughter come over and play with my child because she thought i was that mother Mm -hmm. and it is hard for people i mean i think i do it myself to separate the writer from the writing Mm -hmm. you know i'm not winnie and Lacey, the daughter is not a thing like my daughter although my daughter said to me when she started reading the book she said I know Lacey isn't me, but that's my room. Mom, you <laughs> described my room. <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I'm guilty of that. But I, I do think that there, particularly with this age of memoir, we read so many things like they're really memoir. This must really be um, this woman, and I must really be divorced. I've had lots of people ask me, are you divorced? because Winnie's divorced. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. I've been married a very long time. So, um, it's interesting, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think readers, you know, we're we're always trying to parse what what's what's real, what right. came out of the writer's life and and what is made up and and I think some readers, some of us give more credence to novels that are totally fictional, if that's even possible, whereas other readers love
1: fiction based on life. Right. Right. And interestingly, I'm working on a new book that is truly based on an event that happened to me when I was very young. I mean, 19, um, but young and stupid. And, And it's hard for me. I finally had to rename... The character I sort of wasn't thinking of her with a name, that with a name that has nothing to do with my name. It's not anything close to Diana, and name and go and make her tall. I'm short, and make her you know blonde, and I'm dark haired. You know, (laughs) I really had to fictionalize her to get deeper into this story because writing my story was too hard for me. Mm -hmm. Not what I do.
0: Hmm. Interesting. during the writing of the care and the feeding of exotic pets did you um and this is after you found your story you're you with winnie were there points though in the book when you just felt stuck or lost or somehow all written out and uh, if so how do you how did you get through those points
1: um there were definitely points especially on a you know with a book that you've I worked on. I had worked on for so long in many different incarnations. There were definitely points where I would get stuck. And I found I got stuck for two different reasons. One was I would get stuck because I didn't know what was going to happen next or I felt like the same old thing was going to happen again. And then the other reason I would get stuck, I would get stuck because of that bad devil on my shoulder that would say, you don't have an agent, no one's going to want to read this, nobody likes it, there are other books that are better, you know, that voice. And that would take me away from the computer as well. I'm a big walker. I like to walk. I have a very large dog who's happy I like to walk. And so when I get stuck, I usually go for a walk. Um, and somehow the repetitive movement and the, even if I don't think about what I'm stuck with, particularly in plot stuff, if I just look at the trees and notice my neighbors knew this or that, you know, um, it frees up my head. What what doesn't work for me, and I know this works for some writers, is to just sit at the computer and pound it out until something gives. Um, I need to step out and get away. And, you know, luckily... I can always clean the refrigerator <laughs> or do a load of laundry, and it's, uh, you know, that's what I do. I, I'm i pretty disciplined. I do try to write every day, um, but sometimes I will put down what I'm working on and write something else or write a different section, and that was part of the help with having multiple points of view is I could say, okay, I'm stuck with Winnie. How is she going to try and get away from this guy this time? But I can write something about her daughter, or I can write something about her ex-husband, and that would that would help as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have readers for your work at any point?
1: I do. Um, I had a writers group for ever. Um, it started. There were nine of us, all women, not by design. It just worked out that way. And we met for years, and when we started meeting, none of us were published. And now it's 15, 16 years later, 17 years later, oh, my gosh, and we're all published. Um, So out of that group, I have a couple people who always read for me that I really, really count on, and um, we read for each other. We don't meet anymore because all of us are working on longer things. But I will give a whole draft to two or three of these women.
0: And you'll wait till you have a draft as opposed to, you know, here's a first chapter, first three chapters, yeah. what do you think?
1: Mm-hmm. you know, I may talk to them. That's another writing block kind of thing. I may say, okay, so I've got this character, and she's locked in this house with this guy, and she needs to get out. How else could she get out, you know? I may talk to them about it in general, but I don't usually give things to read in the midst of working on them anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I find you to be a very uninhibited novelist. I, I don't know; it just your work just seems to be honest to oh, to the you. character or to the story. And um, and you in this book you have and in Bump too, but in in uh, the care and Fe- the feeding of exotic pets you have. Um, a love scene that's very unexpected um, and that works so well and, and of course it's um, a little atypical too. New writers especially have such a hard time with um, writing love scenes. Um, you know, they don't want to, especially if they're not writing romance, they're worried about it sounding romance-y, Right. Um or pur- too purple or flowery. Will you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, um, I think violence is really hard to write, and I think sex is really hard to write. And um, for me, it has to come from character. Because actually, when you get down to the act of sex, it's all plumbing. You know, it's all <laughs> kind of the same. Um, but what's important is how this character is feeling, you know, what, what is revealed during this scene, um, It's got to have a greater purpose to me. Otherwise, it should be like, you know, Tolstoy wrote Anna Karenina, which is, you know, one line, and he shut the door. That's plenty Mm -hmm. in that. Um, So if you're going to have it, there should be a reason for it. It shows the character at their most vulnerable often. Um, It's fraught with lots of other meanings. sex usually is, or it should be if it's in your book. I mean, you know, people who have been married 25 years, usually a sex scene is not so interesting <laughs> unless, while they're doing it, the husband is thinking of someone else.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so it's it's got to come from character, I think. And then you have to avoid the cliché words. It's hard to, but no heaving, no thrusting, no... You know mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. those. If you've heard it described that way before, don't use it. Right. Try to do something else.
0: Kind of like with metaphors and similes. Exactly. If you if you've heard them, then don't use them. Then don't use them. Exactly. What, however, however uh, obscure, just don't use it.
1: <laughs> right. And I think also the the other thing with um, sex scenes is to think. You know, I mean, truly, really, the things that excite us are so mundane often you know it's like his hand you know the way he puts his hand on his mug or the line of her jaw or even you know some errant little hair somewhere is such a turn on sometimes and so to look at those things rather than the traditional kind of body parts that are oh you know those are so beautiful well yeah but it's really the other littler things Mm -hmm. that make someone special to us. Yeah, so
0: true. We have just a couple of minutes left with Diana Wagman. Her new novel is The Care and Feeding of Exotic Pets, published by Ig Publishing. Um, any advice you've received along the way that um, has stuck with you and has been particularly helpful?
1: Um, I took a workshop once from a man, um, a wonderful writer, I think, really a poet, but he also writes fiction, Brad Lighthouser. And he told me, and this is early in my career, he told me, read aloud and listen to the rhythm of your work. Each paragraph should have rhythm. It should be musical. And there should be short declarative moments and then longer, languid, more beautiful moments depending on what your describing. And, boy, it has really changed the way I write. I read aloud as I'm writing often, um, and then I go back and look at a scene and read it and read it aloud and listen to it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I know my family thinks I'm crazy, but I'm in that room reading. So, Well, yeah, because
0: there is a certain music to words, and
1: yeah. you don't have to be writing poetry
0: to want want your... Sentences to have rhythm and have <clears throat> that, that
1: beat right. on the page. And that clunk. you want to avoid that clunkiness, which I think particularly with um, prose and longer prose, like novels, people think they can just kind of pass through a section. You know, I've got to describe the kitchen so I can just describe it. But you really want every line to fit.
0: In there. How about your names? Because I found um, the names, Winnie, Lacey, Oren, Jonathan, these names fit these characters. And um, I heard an agent once say that um, names were really important to her, that, that a name, uh, the right name for the character will make her keep reading.
1: Oh, which, that's
0: interesting. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And, and so then how authors name their characters, to me, is just like, you know, kind of the gateway into character. Um,
1: Talk about your names. Well, I definitely can't write a character until I have his or her name. And it's silly. I know, who was I reading about? There's some writer, a good writer, a famous writer, who in the first draft calls all the men George and all the women Martha or something, <laughs> and um, just writes that way. And I I could no more do that because a George is a George and a Martha is a Martha to me. Um So I struggle with names, and it's hard for me to really get a handle on someone until I have their name. Lacey was Lacey from the get-go. When I first wrote her, and she was six years old, and then I wrote her at about 11, and she was always Lacey. I don't know where it came from. It's not a name I particularly love or anything, Mm -hmm. but that's who she was. Mm -hmm. Um, And Winnie was always Winnie because she has a movie star mom. And I thought, what a ridiculous name.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But her mother was 16 when she had her, and perhaps she thought Winifred sounded regal or special or mm-hmm. something. It seemed like a young girl's kind of choice, mm-hmm. if not Tiffany or Skye or,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know. I like Winnie. I like. That I liked name. it, too, yeah. and it fit her, I think. Oren I really struggled with. Um, I wanted something unusual but not bizarre and something sort of, sort of southern and sort of not, you know. Mm-hmm. So I struggled. And I have lots of baby name books. I mm-hmm. have three of them, mm-hmm. which I never used for my children. But right, right. But I for characters. characters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, at the end of our time, any, any last words for the writers listening who may be working their way through a longer work, like a novel or a memoir?
1: Well, don't give up. Because this novel, if anything if it's anything, it's about perseverance. I mm-hmm. just kept working on it. And and don't be afraid to throw stuff away. It's right. all practice. It's all good. And I guess that's what I would say. Yeah. And don't think about publishing. Think about writing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Think about the process, not the results. Yeah. And enjoy it. And enjoy it. And enjoy it. Thank you so much for Thank being you. on the
1: show, Diana. That was great. Thank you very much, Barbara,
0: and happy holidays. Happy holidays. That was Diana Wagman. Her book is "The Care and the Feeding." Sorry, "The Care and Feeding of Exotic Pets." It's a novel published by Ig Publishing, and uh, she's been doing some book events around Southern California. I believe she has a website, and you can uh, check her out and see where she's going to be and what's going on. Hey, I think that's the end of our time. Yeah, we're in the holiday season. I hope you're all maintaining and, and getting your writing done. I'm going to leave you with a quote uh, contributed by San Diego writer and former student L. Brooks. It's by Krishnamurti who said, Real learning comes about when the competitive spirit has seized. Yeah, think about that one. Until next time, thank you for listening to Writers on Writing on 88.9 KUCI-FM. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett. I'll be back with you next week. Keep writing and enjoy your life.